You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint Church as we worship the Lord this morning. What better thing to do on a Sunday than worship the Lord? If you're watching on the live stream, welcome to you as well. Want me to move over? I can't tell. We've got code. They all know what that means. Okay. I don't know what I'm doing. Welcome. So as you, I'm sure, saw, there was no chosen this week, and that may happen from time to time as they are produced without a huge production company, and they're producing it on their own, so it's really awesome. But that means we had no episode four, and so God, however, in his infinite wisdom, gave an incredible topic for us to talk about. The pastors, we all went up um, to a uh, cabin in Payson, and we do this twice a year to pray, ask God for wisdom and guidance, and um, if we have anything in the church that needs to be discussed or talked through, then we do that during this time, and it was just an awesome week, and Pastor Mike brought up this book, have you seen it? Until Unity by Francis Chan, and he read the whole thing up there, and then the next day gave it to me, and I read the entire thing, and just couldn't, couldn't put it down. This is what I feel like God has put on my heart since I was 18 and felt like God called me into ministry, and he just so eloquently put it into words, and uh, I, I don't recommend a lot of books from the stage, but this book I wholly recommend from beginning to end. Uh, the, the love, the truth, the sort of hard, slap you in the face, wake-up call to Christians is exactly what we need, and so we're going to be talking about this this morning, this idea of unity. So the message is titled, United We Stand. Um, I sent it to our AV graphics guy, and in the sermon, you know, usually I put what sermon series we're in, and then the sermon title, and under sermon series, I just put standalone, meaning standalone message. So he had originally the title standalone as the sermon, and I liked it, and I wanted him to leave it, because it actually works as well, right? I will stand alone for truth, even if I'm the only one doing it. And so here we're going to talk about unity. The book's called Until Unity, and what he's quoting is Ephesians... 4, 11 through 16, I'll give you the first two verses here. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would mature to manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, craftiness, and in deceitful schemes. Rather, we would speak truth in love. And so, this has been my heart for the church, not just LifePoint, but the church, right? You've heard me talk about this. We talked a little bit about it last week in episode three as the disciples, as Jesus was not with them, as he's healing people there in Syria, the disciples begin to fight. They begin to argue. Their differences begin to come out. Their Hatred and unforgiveness towards one another begins to come out, and we sort of can relate to everything they're going through, how these men look super spiritual, they're following Jesus Christ around, they're getting the crowds together, they're one of the chosen, so they feel super special about themselves, and then we get to see they're still just a bunch of messed up people, just like you and I. When Christ is not with them, they, they resort back to that nature that reminder that, hey, wait a minute, 
I know, Matthew, you're a disciple, but I don't like you. And I forgot about that for a while, but now I remembered, I actually hate you. And man, if this isn't happening in the church today, this idea of unity. And as I prayed and thought about this all week, the Lord brought this sort of this analogy and thought to my mind, and I want to present it before you. Today is May 2nd. My son turns 12 today, which means the Lord has one more year to return and rapture me before the teenage years. And uh, then I have two daughters swiftly behind him, in which case, those of you who say you pray for me throughout the week, I will be showing up at your house because it's going to be hands-on type prayer at that point. Two teenage daughters and a son who will know more than me by then, so pray for me. But he's only 12 today. Good age. He's only 12 today. And it got me thinking, you know, whenever we go do parent-teachers conferences for Judah, the number one thing we always hear is, he's a smart kid, he's really funny. He, he can't just sit still, though. He gets up. He gets up a lot. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, use the... No, he gets up every five minutes. I'm like, in class? Like, while you're talking? Yes. What's he do? He goes to the pencil sharpener, plays with his backpack in the cubby, will literally talk to other kids while she's teaching, sometimes sits in her chair, doesn't like that one. And I'm like, really? He just gets up and walks around. She said, yeah. And it was so funny because it made sense when he was getting done with spring break. You know, they just did their AZ merit test. He was scared to death to go to school. And I'm thinking, kid, you're, he's a smart kid. I'm like, why are you scared? You're going to pass that test. It's no problem. He goes, it's not the test. They make us sit still and you're not allowed to get up for the entire hour. And he's not kidding. Like that had him bound up in knots. He was nauseous, not feeling good for the idea of having to sit still for an entire hour and not get up and move around. Now, so often in our culture, that kid is looked at as the trouble kid, right? Oh, he's got ADD or he's got problems. He can't just sit still. He can't just sit and learn like the other kids. But I've come to see and know and learn that's not true at all. God has made him so different so unique. When I look at what an easy baby he was and thought we were great parents, and then God gave us Audrey and reminded us we're not great parents, right? We did all the same things. None of it worked with her. And then God brought us these two girls, Malia and Serena, and then he really, right? You want to foster and adopt some kids? That'll really test if you think you're doing well at parenting. And what it reminded me is this. Every one of my children is so drastically different from the other one. And as a dad who grew up, and as a man who grew up in liking sports and athletics and things that are, I just love competition, to have a child that doesn't care about competition is so weird. They don't care if they win or lose. They're genuinely just there to play the game. And I'm like, what? Why? Would be the, what would be the point in that? What a waste of time. You must win. And I, I give you this analogy because I want you to think about this for a second. If I were to place on my kids the exact expectation of how I believe they should do things, I believe you should sit in class and do exactly as you're told and sit perfectly still. I learn visually, so you should also learn visually. I find that a way to get rid of my energy is through sports. So you should also find that physical activity is how you get rid of energy when we know that none of this is universal for all people, 
And then you have a kid, right? Maybe if you're a guy like me, you have a kid who loves creativity and art and reading books and just sitting down and actually gets energized from reading. People are like that. Did you know that? There are people who get energized from reading. And if I were to tell my children that they all needed to follow this path because this is the right path and this is the only way to be a good child and grow up and be a good member of society, you guys would think I'm crazy. Now, I want you to look at the church, the body of Christ. Here at LifePoint, if you're a believer in Christ, then you're a son or daughter of the king, right? You're a son and daughter. And so you're not my children, but God has made me stewards over your time to disciple, mentor, walk through life, love, help. That's the purpose of pastors at the church. And as I get to thinking about this idea of denominations, and this is how we do it, this is how we worship, this is how you interpret this scripture, there is no other way, this is the right way. It makes me think of my kids. And I think there are people who come into this building hurting, broken, happy, full. And if I look at people who come in and they had a different background, they had a different upbringing in the church, and I look and say, I love that you love the Lord and that you're saved, but you've kind of been doing these three things wrong. You need to do it how we do it. I'd hope you would ask, well, how do you know how you do it is right? Well, I've talked to other guys who've done it this way, and they all told me it was right. So you went to people who already did it that way, and they affirmed their own self? Exactly. There is such division in the body of Christ today that we don't need to go outside of America, we don't even need to go outside of our city here, our state, to see the division in the body of Christ. Over a thousand different denominations. Let that sink in. Many of whom will not talk to others or do not affirm others as Bible-believing, Trinitarian, cross, resurrection, right? They won't even evaluate them as, as true believers. How important do you think unity was to Jesus? If you're wondering, at the beginning of his book in the introduction, he gives 12 different large sections of scripture, and this is just scratching the surface, from Proverbs to the New Testament where Christ calls us to be in unity. He says it's the most important thing. He says you must be unified. They will know me because of your unity. Because black and white, rich and poor, Buddhist and Muslim will come together under one name. And through my spirit, they will be united together. All of their differences will be null and void compared to what it means to be sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the world will know me. Because you will do something that the world does not do. They are not unified with people who are not like them, right? We tend to do that just naturally. We hang out with couples. We get to know people. We make friends based off of people being similar to us at similar stages of life. And that's natural. But the church is actually supposed to be different, This body right here today, and this is one of three services, we're supposed to actually care and love the other people in here who call this place home more than we love ourselves. And I just want to warn you, I should have done this a little earlier, Um, I will challenge you and convict you today. (laughs) 
So if that happens, it's okay. You're not alone, and it's going to happen. Do not feel angry at me or anything like that. Just hear it, hear the words, chew on them, and then send me angry emails later in the week. Where did this start? Where did this division start? The main place it can be traced back to is the first great church split, the great schism of 1054. 1,054. It's been almost 1,000 years since the first major church split, which was between the uh, European Christian church, the two branches were the Roman Catholic church and the Eastern Orthodox church, right? We understand those names? This was the first massive major church split. Church existed for nearly 1,000 years without any major divisions. And then in 1,054, the great schism, they split and they spit, they spit, they split over what is the, the main doctrine. There were all sorts of reasons and small things, but the main thing they split over is the uh, filioque clause. The filioque clause. The filioque clause basically said, one group said that the Holy Spirit ascends from the Father alone. The other group says the Holy Spirit ascends from the Father and the Son. One group didn't like that answer because it makes the Holy Spirit look lesser than. And so we go to verses like John 14, 26, which says the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And then John 15, 26 says, when the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, right? And so they look at this, and here's the reason, right? Here's the reason for the split. The reason is, and this was the quoted reason, a desire to protect the deity of God's Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like a good reason to split? To protect the deity of God? No. No. Can you think of a good reason to get rid of one of your children but keep the others? Now, before you answer that, I don't know how your morning went, so don't take that into consideration. I don't know how one of them's currently been acting, but really think about it. In the long run, no, right? You would want them to work it out. You love them both. You want them to love each other despite their differences, do you not? You want them to have relationship when they get older despite their differences, correct? And that's what unity is. You don't want them to be uniformed. You don't want them to go live exactly the same life, but you want unity amongst them. And so this is what the church did. They said, in order to better serve God and uphold our version of truth, we will split from this other group of people. And we won't just split, we will disassociate from them and they are no longer part of us. Now, I I want you to see this because Christ so valued unity He so valued what it meant for us to stay united that in order to do this, you would have to ignore every verse where Christ said, of the utmost importance, be unified, be of one mind. You'd have to ignore that and say, well, we're going to be of one mind apart from them, Lord. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
First uh, Timothy 1, 5 through 7. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You see, what happened there in, that, in the Roman church, between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox, is the men who rose up to positions of leadership stopped humbling and submitting themselves before an almighty God and saw them as arbiters of the almighty God. So when they saw themselves get to arguments over things like the deity of the Holy Spirit, the importance of Mary, the Eucharist, transubstantiation, any of the other cases that are coming out, rather than saying, these brothers we have known and trusted, and and these ones we know and trusted, maybe we need to come together, humble ourselves before the God that we serve, and ask him to bring us into unity on these things that we are not on. So rather than that, they split. A few years later, there was another split, and then a decade, another, and now we're over a 1,000. Once in a 1,000 years, more than a 1,000 in the next 1,000 years. Once you open the floodgate to division, the rest, it's real easy to divide. And so think about it. If Jesus said, my, the people, I will be known by the unbeliever, by my bride, the church, and the unity that they possess, what's the thing, if you're the devil, you're going to go after Unity. Make him look foolish. Make his, make his bride look foolish. They fight. Show the world that they bicker amongst each other. They can't get along. They hate each other. And nobody will want to be a part of that. No one will believe that there's a God who is omnipotent and all-powerful. And No one will believe that. Jan says in the book, and I love this quote, is it possible to value theology hate sin, and fight for unity? Is it possible? Because if you've just listened to my words so far, maybe you're thinking, oh boy, he's going to say we just forego any sort of theology differences so we can love one another. Right? I know who you are. (laughs) I know. So is it possible to value theology, value correct doctrine, hate sin, and love people through unity. Jesus seemed to think it was. The disciples seemed to think it was the only way the church was going to survive. And to this day, I'll be honest, it is the only way the church will continue to survive. And we're at a point now with social media and uh, the the connectivity of our world where it is so easy to bring division, right? Chan says in here, he goes, in the past, if you disagreed with the pastor, you had to go meet him face to face to let him know or write a strongly worded letter. Now, you just get online, you film yourself, and you put a title that's super inflammatory. And he gives an example, like Pastor Chan is preaching heresy and has fallen off the wagon, thinks he's the Messiah, got thousands of views, right? So it's so easy right now to bring division in the church. You know what's really hard to do is bring unity in the church. So how do we fight for unity? First, we understand Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. And this is for anybody here who is a believer in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, maybe this will help you understand a little bit of who he is. But it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than yours. You see, no matter how close I get to God, no matter the relationship I have with him on this side of glory, he is, and all he is and always will be omnipotent. He will, his, his ways will be higher than mine. I am a creature who is created. He is the creator. At no point is the servant greater than the master. And I have to understand that. I have to get to the point where I understand, Lord, you have given me wisdom and knowledge, but I don't understand your ways. I don't think I'd use a donkey to have talked to Balaam. I don't know that I would have used a burning bush for Moses. I sure would not have had Joshua march seven times and blow trumpets. I mean, that's just silly. And yet, in his wisdom, he knew exactly what he was doing. Here's, here's what uh, the, the church today, and again, conviction, no shame here. This is just let God move, is we have a lot of students of Christian religion. We have a lot of students who know a lot about Christian, Christianity. They know a lot about Jesus. They know about the cross. They even believe it happened. It's true. But they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what those were called in the Bible? Pharisees. Pharisees knew everything about the Torah and the Old Testament prophets. They knew everything about the history of Israel. They even had it memorized. They knew all the laws, and they kept every single law, but they had lost relationship with Yahweh. They became students of Judaism, not disciples, not followers of God. And this is what... Unfortunately, we have fostered a culture of people who know God, believe it's true, and yet do not have relationship with him. You see, if you have relationship with Jesus, then you pursue after the characteristics of Jesus. Patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But we substitute those things for knowledge. He's got a great little chart in here where it shows, you know, conversion, and then it shows you going along the line, and then all of a sudden you get to knowledge, and the knowledge just takes off, and there's all the peace, patience, kindness, understanding, and we just like, I'm just going to skip over those. I'll get to knowledge. Because if I have knowledge, then I can defend the Bible, and I can defend truth, and I can make sure I don't sit under heretical teachers, and I can make sure I go to the right heaven. Jesus says (laughs) that if you have knowledge without love, If you have knowledge without peace, the patience, the fruit of the Spirit, then you are just a noisy gong. You're this loud, banging cymbal in the ears of the world. So don't do that. Let's fight for unity. He makes this great point, and he asks this question. He says, why do Christians start out with the assumption that their opinion of God is right? Without humility, there can never be unity. And so there's a section called A Call to Humility. And he makes this excellent point. Many Christian leaders today view themselves as defenders of truth. They're ones holding the line against the tide of heretical charismatics and the arrogant reformed camp and whichever camp you view as the enemy. Many of us have so much loyalty to our circles we never stop to ask, are we really seeking truth anymore or just defending the thing we already believed? This is gut check. As he's writing this book, he even tells you at the beginning, he's like, just put this book down if you can't stop and praise the Lord. 
If you can't stop and praise the Lord right now, don't keep reading my book. Like it's gut check after gut check of, God, what am I doing? What have I fallen into? Right? Why are you so sure your camp's theology is better than mine? He says it comes back to epistemology, which is how truth is acquired. He said if you're reading this book, you probably agree that the scriptures is the basis for truth. And so if we all agree on that, then we have, and then why do we have so many theological differences? And it's not about that. What does it come down to? It comes down to how to best interpret scripture. Am I right? So if we all believe it's true, then how is it we all come to different conclusions? Well, because we interpret them differently. Well, then who do we rely on to interpret the scriptures for us? There's a few categories. Do we rely on the smartest person? We do a test, and whoever has the highest IQ in the church will read the Bible for us and then tell us what to believe? I don't think, actually, I, I know that's not it. Do we rely on the most spirit-filled person? Do we rely on the most humble person? Who do we rely on? Maybe we rely on the most educated person. Who has spent the most time studying it and since they spent the most time, we'll take whatever their interpretation is. Have you ever thought about this? Does anybody have an answer for me? Holy Spirit. But here's the problem, okay? I'm so glad you said Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling me that the, it says this, and you will say, hmm, well, the Holy Spirit is telling me it says this. I hate to break it to you, but the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you one thing and me another. One of us is right, one of us is wrong, or both of us are wrong. Probably that one. <laughs> Mainly because after this conversation, we don't talk to each other anymore. Because your Holy Spirit was different than my Holy Spirit. You see what I mean? Do you see why humility reigns supreme? Do you see why having a learning, a spirit that continues to learn, a spirit that continues to lay your, what you already know before God and say, God, would you lead me in righteousness, help me care about unity in your church as much as you do. Have you ever prayed for that? I can tell you, I don't know that I have specifically said, Lord, for the unity of the church before I became a pastor, before I dealt with it. I prayed all the time as a young man for knowledge and wisdom and help and understanding and all of this, but I don't know if I ever prayed for the unity of his body for the Christians to stop fighting amongst one another, for us to be unified so the world can see who he is. And one of the things he says in here is if those men and women who are such great defenders of the truth of God's word would put half as much time into defending the unity of the church, we wouldn't be so split up. So why do we ignore unity but we fight for truth? Do you know why? Because fighting for truth is easy. You do a little bit of research, you get some people behind you who believe in the same thing, boom, you've got a following, you've got research, you've got logic, you used your brain, that was fun. And now you can go ahead and spread your truth. You get accolades, you get praise for it, you can write a book about it, people will have you on their talk shows, they wanna know how awesome it is to be you, where you came to this truth, where other people could never come to it. But unity, unity sucks. Unity means laying down your wants, your desires, your schedules. You have to love people who you don't even like. And you have to love them. You have to show up here on Sunday morning and you have to look at the people in your row. Go ahead, look at them. And you have to say, your desire and your will is greater than mine. 
I am here today to bless somebody else in the church. This is why, for those of you who are online, we miss you, and you are missed here. Imagine if every person in this church, you know when they walk through those doors this morning, they are here, and their prayer before they walked in those doors is, Lord, who can I bless here this morning? And when you feel it, it's genuine. It's not fake. You can tell there is just this genuine, they have been praying about it, thinking about it, and when they saw you, it's like there was an angelic light on you, and God just said, that one, that's who you need to go to. And when they came to you, they spoke a word that was just so real and to the point, right? It's not prophetic. It's not anything grand or or mysterious. It's just, it was real. In a world so full of counterfeits, it was real, Here is this person in your church who you barely know, but because you're part of the same body, because you're seeking unity, they came to you and spoke directly into your life because it was their primary objective. It wasn't come to be fed. It wasn't come to be entertained or have delicious free coffee. It was to come to love you. Now imagine if every single person in here walked through those doors that way. Do you think that would be supernatural? Until I see a lot of head nods, I'm just going to keep looking quietly. Do you think that an unbeliever, if you're sitting in this room here today, and you came in because you've heard about this Jesus, and you saw a church of people of all different colors and clothes and backgrounds, and there was just such this overwhelming love amongst all of them that when they saw that lobby, that they couldn't even leave without some random person, and, and again, not fake, not this cheesy, I have to do it, I'm part of the deacon team, but I'm talking every single person here is here for somebody else on Sunday morning. I want to give you a little secret too. When you do this, the Lord fills you up. When you come with this in mind, I am telling you, You can come beat up by the weak. You can come hurting, broken, having lost a loved one, sick. And if you come and you say, Lord, who can I bless here today? He will fill you up. He will bring peace and understanding to your situation when you come and you bring unity to the bride of Christ. It is not easy. It will cause you to be uncomfortable. There are people who worship differently than you. There are people who interpret the scriptures differently than you. Are they wrong? I don't know. Are you wrong? Who have you checked with to make sure you're right? Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, that you are striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, that you are not frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This will be a sign to them that those who are being destroyed, that that there is destruction for them, but you will be saved, and you will be saved by God. Paul is literally telling the church, that your unity is what will be a sign to those who don't know me. Be unified. (laughs) Chan says in this book, remember, I'm just going to say Chan says it too. He says, if unity in the body of Christ is of no concern to you, I 
do not believe you're a true believer in Christ. <laughs> right? Like, take those words in. Don't just let them wash over you for a second. Be hurt by that. Get offended a little bit. Maybe cause a little discord. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. You ready for this? These are the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And other stuff is what that means. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Now, we look at that in the church, and there are so many things we cross off that list, and we're like, I am doing so good. No orgies this week for me. No debauchery, I don't think. Little idolatry, but I keep it to a minimum. Praise Jesus. And we just overlook that part where it says hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissension, or divisiveness, causing division in the body of Christ. Envy. Envy. When you pulled into the parking lot, were there any cars out there you envied? Be honest. Mm-hmm. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And listen, he isn't saying if you've done these things, you don't get to go to heaven. He's saying those who practice those things and do not repent, do not say, God, take this from me. I don't want this life. I want your life. He says, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot keep thinking that we are on a right track because we have good theology, because we go to church every Sunday, because we told our neighbor about an upcoming event, because we joined a small group. We have got to actively fight for unity in the church. We've got to understand that there are people here who are different and are going to make you uncomfortable, and rather than distance yourself from them, maybe you should learn from them. Rather than saying that they are a heretic, rather than saying that they are preaching a false gospel in your church, pastor, maybe sit down with them and get to know them first before you say these things. You hear me? Because I have sat down with many of you from all the different backgrounds. Just on our pastoral staff, you know what a mutt of a pastoral staff we have? <laughs> I'm Baptist background with everything in between, between my 13 and 22, and then we have an ex-Catholic who was in the Navy. I mean, you want to talk about inclusive. We let him on board. And he was a politician. We've got an Episcopal, a Pentecostal. I don't know what Mike is. He's just a good guy, right? He's just a hard worker and a good guy. But the fact is I sat down with each one of these men, and they are a microcosm of what our church is. And I've sat down with you in our church from those different backgrounds. And I can tell you that the people have a heart for God. They love Jesus. They believe he is the son of God. They believe in a virgin birth. They believe he died and on the third day he rose again for their sins. So they speak in tongues. 
So when they worship, they lift their hands. And you like to stand still. How are we letting those types of divisions, and I know what you're thinking, no, no, those aren't the divisions. Yes, those are the divisions. And then they grow from there. This isn't about forgoing truth. This is about believing that Jesus said that if I abide in him, then he abides in me. And if I abide in him, then I am to love my fellow brother and sister in Christ. And that if I do that, I can trust that his spirit will bring about truth in both of our lives. That if we are both humbled before him, then he will bring about truth. I'm going to close here. Oh, I forgot one. Yeah, I better close. We're running out of time. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Would you bear with each other? Would you forgive one another? If any of you has a grievance against someone, would you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? Over all these virtues, would you put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. There is such a deep desire in Paul and the disciples and in Christ himself for unity in the body. It cannot be a, an optional thing in our church, right? Like, we have an optional thing in the church. If you wish to wear a suit and tie, you may. If you wish to wear flip-flops, you may. It's optional. Neither one makes you a better Christian. Unity cannot be optional anymore. We cannot slander others in the Christian community because we don't like the way they're doing something. The world sees that and just says, what kind of powerful God do you serve that none of you can agree on anything? Dress code. You can't even agree on dress code. And then they don't just see that we don't agree. That's one thing. They see that it actually splits us. That we speak evil against one another. That we speak vile words against each other. And that we have no love for them. And they say, well, isn't that your brother or sister in Christ? Not my brother or sister. I want to leave you with this example because this example touched my heart so much at the end of his book here, he gives this um, scenario, which I think would be hard for all of us to have to come to a point of saying, okay, what do I do here, right? He says, two years ago, I'm gonna invite the band up, we're gonna close with this. I spoke in an event, he says, I'll spare you all the details, but my time with the Lord was unique, and as I fellowshiped with this group, their leader was like no other leader I had ever met. His humility was different, it wasn't forced, he wasn't trying to sound humble, He just was. He was an example to me and still is to this day. I kept thinking of the scene in John 147 where Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, look, there is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He didn't seem to have any selfish ambition as he was leading large groups into true discipleship. His knowledge of the word was exemplary. His love for people was evident. In short, he reminded me a lot of Jesus. We began serving together at different events and God did unique things through through us every time we served together. And then came the conflict. A couple of my staff approached me one day and asked, did you know that his organization is strongly egalitarian? 
In fact, they even wrote a book about it. We started to question whether our partnership could move forward. If we were both training Christian leaders, how could one of us teach that God wants men and women to be elders in the church, while the other taught that the role of the elder is reserved for men? That's what egalitarian is. We both seem to have searched the scriptures thoroughly. Neither of us had a selfish agenda, yet we came to different interpretations of the same biblical text. My immediate response was to do what most of us do in these situations, practice social distancing. <laughs> you see, the church has been social distancing way before 2020, right? I'm sorry, what denomination are you? Six feet away. Six feet and we should wear masks so I don't catch any of your Pentecostalism. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it gets transmitted through the air. He says, normally we would practice social distancing. I would admit that we're both Christian. I would graciously part ways. I would affirm his leadership. I mean, I would affirm his friendship, but keep each other at arm's length from here on out. He said that would have been the easiest way to maintain Christian unity and avoid the conflict from escalating. Something in my spirit was off, biblically off, in taking that path. I didn't feel peace about it for two reasons. I'm commanded by Jesus to love my brother as Christ loves me, and Jesus has not kept me at a safe distance, but he keeps pursuing me. And I don't see his theological disagreement as one that warranted separation. You see, there is, a, there is an absolute truth. Jesus is not a man created by God. He is God. He is God in the form of man. There are certain things where you would have to part ways with a brother or a sister. But he looked at this and said, this isn't one of those, so I'm going to press on. Maybe there was a deeper reason for my discomfort toward the idea of separating from this leader other than a lack of biblical logic for it, but there was true love between us, so it wasn't easy to part ways. We saw God do uniquely amazing things when we ministered together. We had shown us that we were better serving together. The more we talked about the issues, the more we thought that even the disagreement might be a kingdom blessing. If we figured out how to pursue unity rather than distancing in our disagreement, maybe God could use us as an example. A few months later, we found ourselves in Myanmar, each of us taking members of ministry to serve and reaching people who had never heard of Jesus. We committed to pursuing oneness and began to experience the good and pleasant blessing talked about in Psalm 133. One of his leaders pointed out verse 3, which states, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Not only will we experience the joy of unity, but God will command blessing in that kind of relationship. And this is what we experienced over the next few days. And what he says next here was like the words I have spoken before God. I have believed that miracles of healing were possible, and I have believed the testimonies of friends who had experienced them. I just had never seen it with my own eyes until that trip. I never watched him use me as the vehicle for his healing, but I was present as deaf kids heard for the first time. I was the, only, I was the one who had the honor of laying hands on people and watching pain go away and swelling disappear, and most importantly, I saw people who had never heard of Jesus begin to embrace him. Without exaggerating, those were the best days of my life. There was something about the pursuit of unity amid theological differences coupled with the pursuit of the unreached that resulted in the blessing. I encourage you so much this morning, wherever you're at, whatever background you come from, 
Would you ask God to make unity in his body a priority in your life, in your heart? You know the things that are there. You know the things that are hidden and that are rooted deep in growing up in church or not growing up in church, the things you sort of hold to, the things that cause you to be distant from other people here in this congregation. Maybe the things that cause you to run to another church because you just don't want to deal with it. I encourage you to fight for the unity in this congregation with me and the elders and the pastors here. We are not a perfect church. We are not a perfect group of leadership, but we are fighting for unity. We are fighting to put Christ first, to reach the lost in our neighborhood, to disciple those who have come to Christ. So we ask you would come and be a part of this with us. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we come before you needing your spirit to not bring uniformity amongst us, Lord, but a unity that comes from you. I can't love my neighbor, I can't love my enemy, Lord, apart from you. I can't even love my family, truly love them in a sacrificial way apart from you, Lord. Jesus, lead us as a church in this. May we not become disheartened. May it not feel too big. May we just each take a piece of it. May we put others' needs ahead of our own when we walk in those buildings, when we walk in those doors. May we seek to know those who are different than us then cast them out of our presence. And Lord, would you lead us in truth? Lead us in your truth, Lord Jesus. Allow us to recognize the wolf in sheep's clothing. God, help us. Strengthen your church, Lord, here in America, Santan Valley. May we be bold, Lord, for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the Lord's table here as we participate in communion together. One of the commands that Christ gave his disciples was that when we gather together, we would remember the body and the blood of Jesus. So if you haven't had a chance, there's cups on the back table. If you have a relationship with Christ, we invite you to participate. When we take this bread, we are saying, I receive unto my body the truth that Jesus Christ lived, was God, was human, and that it's because of that sacrifice that we have access to the Father. Let's pray and bless it. Lord, we bless this bread now. As you held it, you said, this is my body given to you. And so we praise you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for giving and sacrificing so we could be in relationship. It's in your name we pray. Let's partake together.